AT, we're back again. Game week. I love game week, man. I love game week. Love uh, game week. There's so much uh, talk on Twitter right now about, you know, just that all the stuff, all the the news about games coming up. You got Vermont Furman tonight, which should open up the D1 schedule, uh, which is exciting. But um, just a lot of excitement in lacrosse. And on top of it all, and I feel like for whatever reason <laughs> – these guys, I don't know who they are, but the whole Las Vegas lines that we used last year to pick our games, they tweet out the over-unders on regular season wins, and Twitter goes nuts because it's like yes. it's almost like the start of the season, um, and everyone's like, yes, it's dialed in. We're finally back, and we're in the rhythm, and everyone's you know in their, their go-to, and uh, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's a different atmosphere. It's almost like Christmas. Uh, yeah, they got, they, the New York Post needs to step up and start adding a college lacrosse betters guide <laughs> in the sports section. Did you like see some of those numbers football. though? Did you see yeah. some of those numbers? I, yeah. I was I was fascinated yeah. by the numbers because I was confused because I'm looking at them and I'm like regular season wins. But like some of them are like so low. Like you look at Notre Dame, I I don't have them in front of me right now, but they had like eight, I don't know, eight eight over under on the wins. And I'm thinking to myself, eight wins? So that means they might only have seven? Who's doing this? And then I realized I looked at their schedule and they only play like eleven or twelve games, which is really weird. And obviously they played some of the toughest you know, tougher schedule. But I guess those are the risks that you take if you Kevin Corrigan, right? I mean, you want to save your team for the, you know, the ACC championships and the tournament. Uh, so you schedule a few less games. Your strength of schedule is really not going to change that much uh, because you're playing the best teams in the country, but you're at risk to go under 500. If, if you have, you know, six, one goal games, right? Yeah. I mean, listen. and you fall on the wrong side of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that those guys know that <laughs> they're going to, you know, beat the teams that they should. It comes down to what's going to happen in the ACC. And you and I spoke about this two or three podcasts ago. Um, you know, frankly, I have them finishing second in the ACC this year. Uh, they played the USA team pretty competitively down at IMG. Yeah, they look good. Two weeks they ago, good. they look good, man. And they, you know, they've got... But when, when do they not look good, though? I mean, Notre Dame has always looked good. I mean, Against Carolina in the playoffs last year, Ryan, <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> that is right, true. Sure, what was it? They, they lost by eight goal? Eight goal lead? Is that what it was? I don't know. But that was one-sided affair. You know, the type of game that you just never really ever see out of Notre Dame. I mean, it's kind of a team that that pretty much never uh, gets destroyed. And I think that you know part of that reason, obviously, is the fact that they got great players. But let's face it, Jerry Byrne, I think, is, is the best defensive coach in the country. Yeah, he's figured it out. <laughs> yeah, he's figured it out. I think that's pretty accurate. Um, and he's, you know, listen, he's got the type of personality where these kids dying to play for a guy like that who's super into it, super organized, um, you know, but is is cool and can relate to these guys. And it's easy to see just from following him on Twitter that he, uh, you know, is is more bought into their development as people. You know, he tweets out just as much about, you know, what Notre Dame can do for you after you graduate as a right. internships and full time job opportunities, you know, as much as he does 
the lacrosse piece. And that's so, got to resonate with these guys. And you know it resonates. It does. And it's just really, really smart. Frankly, I'm I'm shocked that more of these Torp does it. pros don't follow that lead. I mean, it's kind of shocking in a sport where we've said it many times, these guys aren't signing seven-figure deals to go play pro lacrosse. You know, they may put pro lacrosse, but they're not signing. They're not. They're not retiring early, right? For doing from doing it, and you would think that more coaches would do what Bernsey does as it relates to promoting what going to Notre Dame, but more specifically being a lacrosse player at Notre Dame, can, can do, do as you. it relates to paving your way to getting, you know, a first choice internship job which ultimately leads you to ideally be able to create the highest quality of life for you and your family for the 50 years after you get out of school right and you would think that 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 would be mimicked more than it is and i won't be surprised if the millions of people listening to the in your face podcast today <laughs> all, all six message. people and I'm, and I'm not listen i'm not saying that uh that the other coaches around the country. They definitely sell it. They sell it in their recruiting pitches. I'm I'm sure they do, but they just don't market it as tactfully and as consistently as Bernsey does. So he should be uh, credited that way for sure. I did like what Torp did. Torp started instead of, you know, how Ty Zanders does the, hey, commit, early commit, verbal commit, whatever it is. (laughs) I like how Torp started uh, tweeting out um, the guy's job offers. Smart. And I look back at our time at well, Dartmouth, that's it. AT. That's it. That's it. Corp, it is. Corp's right there with Bernsey that way. And he's always been that way. But he's uh, he, he he's not exactly he's his face isn't on social media though, but he knows everything that's happening out there. Uh, a little different. Uh, but it's one I, I look back at our time, AT at Dartmouth. Corp really hard to box out. Corp is harder <laughs> to box out than Bernsey. There's no question about Bernsey's a little taller and a little rangier and plays yes. plays hard. But nobody boxes out the refrigerator. The, the uh, thing about the thing about Bernsey on the basketball court is, he's already psyched out when I step on the court, and I've already won. He's just like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with this inside. I'm just gonna hang out outside. He opens up a new. He calls his uh, lawyer and gets a new insurance policy in case anything happens. Um, but uh, I look back at our Dartmouth time, and I'm like, you know, what was the stat? At you always said it. All of our seniors in the time that we were there all had jobs by the end of their senior fall term yeah for the most part and then most of the juniors had internships or was that internships i think it was juniors internships and rising seniors all had jobs i mean they all had jobs going into the fall it was a really powerful thing i wish we publicized that but again we were there and twitter obviously you know it's just kind of starting now so it's not really like that big um so that's pretty neat but it's still game week and we got games to talk about uh vermont Furman, mercer at we've got a double header uh, f- uh vermont plays Furman tonight yep. um we are a day early so we're gonna try to maintain the fact that we're on thursday as opposed to doing the show on wednesday but uh v- tell me a little bit about Furman and mercer going into their tilts against Vermont this week. Yeah, I'll do I'll do Mercer since they're going tonight. Um, listen, what people don't know that follow college across is that Kyle Hannon, the Mercer coach, is just simply one of the best coaches in the whole country. 
you know, this game is a scary game for Vermont. Um, you know, look at Mercer's record 2016. They were five and eight overall, three and four in the conference. They just missed the conference playoffs, but they were four and two at home. Uh, you know, their offense was scoring a little over nine goals per game. Their defense was giving up almost 11 a game. You know, statistically, they don't wow you by any means. You know, offensively, they lose their attacking Chris Baxa, 22 goals, two assists last year, but they return a preseason all-Southern Conference midfielder in Lucas Wittenberg out of Georgia, stud, 12 goals, 13 assists last year as a freshman. To get that many assists from the midfield as a freshman is really impressive and speaks mm -hmm. to his playmaking ability. They also return Chris Rahill, 11 goals, nine assists. Um, you know, so I expect their offense to put up more than, you know, they're, they're going to improve. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them scoring when it's all said and done, you know, 10 and a half, 11 goals per game. And if they, if they're able to leverage the return of Hank Morgan, Willie Danes, Jack Margiata at the defensive end, all starters last year for a defense that gave up almost 11 goals a game. Right. You know, they should be better there. And you got to think that, you know, what was five and eight this year or five and eight last year for them, you got to think it's going to, it's going to be closer to seven and six or even better this year in 2016. And I think this, this is a scary game for Vermont. That's what I think this is. And listen, Vermont returns a ton. And I know you'll talk about them in a second, but this is a scary game for them. Uh, the, the one caveat for Mercer is they do lose Mike Nugent, their goalie. He was very good. I like I like you know, yeah. save fifty two percent of the shots. The incumbent seems to be Tyler Bordeaux. You know, didn't get a lot of game day work. Uh, you know, and so he's untested, unproven. You know, they do return Will Meacham, their faceoff guy. He won almost fifty percent. Man up was not spectacular for Mercer. Twenty seven percent game. Their man down uh, was a little bit better at six. You know, stopping their opponent sixty five percent. But again, the key to this game for me is what Kyle Hannon is able to do as it relates to improvement, um, you know, with with the return of so much, so many of his players from last year's roster. Absolutely. Uh, the concern, and I know you'll address it, is, is stopping, you know, Vermont's, you know, dangerous duo of Cam Milligan and Ian McKay. Uh, but that's what I got on Mercer for tonight's game. It's perfect. Um, you know, what, about, of, what about yeah, Furman? What about Furman? In terms of Furman, you know, they play them Saturday, I believe. You know, Furman comes off a really, really tough 2016 season, going 2-11 and overall, 2-5 and in the conference, only beating Jacksonville and VMI. And Jacksonville, we know, is going to be better, and VMI will probably be better. But what people don't realize when they look at Furman is how young they actually were last year. Uh, you know, it's an offense that only scored eight goals a game. They were shooting 28%. That's just not going to get it done. That's the secret. Shooting 28% is the secret to eight goals a game. <laughs> You know, but they return everybody. They're led by midfielder David Williamson, who was 15 and 10 uh, last year, which are pretty good numbers for a midfielder. They return Jonah Moore at attack, 14 goals, eight assists. Midfielder William Holcomb, 13 goals, seven assists. You know, the defensive end, they were giving up 11 goals a game. It just that's 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 a tough three goal spread, RD. Yes. To put up eight and let up 11 on average. They do they do return Joe Stone, who started all last year. Uh, they returned their goalie, Riley McDermott, who saved 40, 47% of his shots. And at the faceoff X, Hill Blaze, you know, McDonough kid was a stud. Uh, I liked him a lot. He actually did very well against us at Michigan. After the, after the draw, he can play the game. Yep. You know, he's going to need to improve on 47%. I think that 
And I think he's capable of doing that. You know, when he, um, you know, returns a lot of support on the wings, you'd like to see that 47% turn into 53%. You know, that could be the difference of, you know, two, two more wins. Right. Um, you know, and so we'll see. Man up for Furman was actually pretty good. 42%. Their man down stopped their opponent 63% of the time. You know, the key for Furman, I think the key for Mercer is they need to win face-offs against UVM and simply limit the amount of offense that UVM gets to play. I mean, that's going to be their shot. If UVM's winning face-offs against either of these teams, Detroit. I just think it's going to be lights out because I just think they're too dangerous on the offensive end. So, you know, what do you what do you got about Vermont? I mean, look, I, I'm doing a lot of research on Vermont, and I see a team that has the ability to put themselves on the map in year one of Chris Weiss's term as head coach there up in Burlington. Um, look, you've got 126 points returning between seniors Ian McKay and Cam Milligan. Cam Milligan is shooting at 35%. That's sick. And the shot on goal percentage is north of 65% for both of these guys. Um, and here's the deal, too. They lose Jane Barlow last year or this year, but they retain Dawes Mitchelling and Cam he's Stafford. He's great. He's, he's great. Paul's, he's a kid from St. Paul's. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is with Mitchelling. Stafford's gone, dude. Stafford, I think, is at Virginia. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm he, not positive, but I'm th- pretty sure that's the case. I think you're right. I think you're, you're right. But here's the thing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because in the end, Mitchling is kind of more or less like me playing alongside Nick Bonacci and Jamie Coffin. I'm just always open. So all I have to do is just put the ball in the net. And he's much better than I ever was at it. Uh, so, uh, you know, in terms shoot of... Shoot as hard, though. I bet she doesn't shoot as hard, RD. <laughs> that's all that matters, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, this is a team with a dy- like a dynamic duo. And for Chris Fifes to put himself on the map this early in his head coaching career on the shoulders of these two guys, you can do it. You can really, really do it. Defensively, they've got John Kaplan returning in cage, who saved 54% last year. Uh, you've got you know uh, sophomore Warren Jeffrey, Ben Cox returning on the defensive end. Uh, those two are going to kind of anchor the defensive side. Um, and you look at the smaller aspects, uh, you know, John Kaplan's a big piece of this because, uh, look, if, if you're going to spend as much money as you're going to assume that Vermont does in the offensive end, given where their, uh, recruits are coming from, uh, you've got to do a lot of damage control in the defensive end. 54% is, is a pretty good damage control. Uh, and if John can improve on that, the entire team improves. If you look at the faceoff backs, they've got a senior in Luke LeBanc, uh, who last year went 55%. Uh, but the rumor right now, uh, the rumor right now is the kid Charlie Erdman is uh, is a kid to watch at the faceoff X, uh, and I'm excited to see that. And he got a senior who's going to get pushed by a freshman uh, early and often. It's only going to make both of them that much better, uh, especially when you go up against you know. Let's face it. There are guys in the country that that they're going to see that are just better. Uh, the kid from Hartford, uh, Dylan Protesto, they're going to see, and he's probably better. But if you've got two options that are at a let's let's just say fifty five percent, and again we talked about this on the last show, uh, where you know it's a matchup thing. Sometimes Luke LeBanc might have it. Sometimes Charlie Erdman might have it. That's a nice. A uh, little combo you can have. The other part is is Jake Bernhardt coming on board. Um, you know he's going to improve the wing play, 
So you can add maybe one to two percent to either faceoffs uh, guy's ability to get the draw. Uh, but talking to Chris Fife's this year uh, and his keys to uh, you know the season uh, to this game. Um, personally, I just think they should just run and gun, run and gun, push the floor, and and more so press out on defense. Look, just force the tempo early in the season, cause a lot of turnovers because when you get the ball into Ian McKay or Cam Milligan's stick, the ball's going in the cup. Uh, And so, you know, for me, I don't see a way that Furman and Mercer make it out of this um, just from what I've seen from Vermont over the last year and popping up out of quote-unquote nowhere when everyone knew how good McKay and Milligan were. Uh, And then, you know, in terms of the season outlook for Vermont, you've got a guy and coach who is trying to develop a culture and a structure at a program in Vermont that has chronically underachieved. Let's face it. Uh, Ryan Curtis did a great job doing it. Um, you know, but there's another step to be taken, and I think Chris is trying to do that. Um, you know, expect some interesting roster moves in the first couple weeks uh, in terms of maybe uh, identifying that culture. Uh, if that makes sense, yeah. uh, some guys might not be playing right away. Uh, but that's not to say that you're not going to see some newcomers coming in. The kid Ben French is a, a freshman from IMG uh, up in – he's coming from Ontario. Uh, look to him make a push uh, to uh, complement Milligan and Mitchling on that attack line. But I just see a great team with a wide-open America East this season, um, and I'm pretty excited to see what Vermont can do with a new attitude – new culture, um, and obviously two games in front of them that should be winnable games. What is, uh, what is Fife saying about their you know, midfield as a group? I mean, you're talking about running and gunning, and that's great as it relates to Ian McKay, Cam Milligan, Dawes, McLing, all being at the end of the break. You know, clearly that makes sense from that standpoint. You know, but in order to run, you've got to have some, some depth to midfield. You know, it, it, it looks like they're going to win face-offs. Uh, you know, it looks like, obviously, we know that they're going to have great wing play just based on who's coaching them. Yep. You know, but I'm looking at their stats, and I'm curious to see, you know, Nick Bartlett graduates yep. as a midfielder that was 11-13 and 13 for them last year. Um, you know, James Barlow was gone. Cam Stafford transferred to Virginia. Uh, you know, Jack Knight, it might be their fourth attack, but I don't know. But I'm looking at their midfield, and, and I don't see any midfielders. Matt Gudis, I guess, potentially steps, sticks out as somebody that was 8-6 and six last year. Um, Braden Davis, 6-3. and three. There's definitely going to be some turnover on the midfield. That's definitely not – I mean, when talking with Fives, he definitely – um, you know, acknowledge the fact that the midfield is a work in progress. But yeah. one of the focuses that he's done is that's different than Ryan Curtis's error is that he's starting to run more defensive midfield. Yeah. And the low production outside of Ian McKay at the midfield from Vermont is probably largely due to that, to that very fact. Um, that you are more or less spreading your midfielders thin. And let's face it, if you're not bringing in guys like Zeddy Williams or, um, you know, the guy from uh, from Denver who's not playing uh, this year. um, Zach Miller. Yeah, Zach Miller types that can just really kind of do it all and are slick and, you know, can play defense, play the wings. 
Um, if you're not bringing in those types of guys, but you're trying to keep them at that role, it's very hard to do. And so I think right. uh, Fife's his focus is to kind of minimize uh, each guy's midfield responsibility, which should maximize their production on both sides of the field. So uh, it should be interesting again. But you know, again, uh, you know, Vermont going into these two games, I see uh, you know a three, four, five goal difference. Their goalies are so that's Kaplan. I'm assuming is going to be the starter, probably. Yeah, Kaplan's at 54. percent He's definitely going to start. He's a stud, man. He's he a one man clear. I mean, he is. He's scary on the clear when he makes a save. He looks like Jimmy Beardmore. He's di- uh, he's dynamic, and uh, that helps. Moving on to uh, the next one in our docket, uh, Lehigh, New Jersey. Um, talk to me about uh, Lehigh a little bit, At. So I, I, I did some due diligence on Lehigh, obviously coming off of a six and nine, four and four record in the Patriot League in 2016. They want to improve. Um, you know, their offense, look, their offense more or less got the job done, scoring over 10 goals a game last year on 32% shooting. But they lose Reed Weber, who was their best offensive player, 37 goals, 14 assists. Uh, and their top three midfield scores. They do return Tristan Ray, 31 goals, nine assists, and fellow attackman Matt Raposo, 16 goals, 14 assists. But who steps up in the midfield for Lehigh? Right. You know, that's, that's critical. Um, you know, on the defensive end, they let up almost 11 goals a game. They lose Casey Eidenshank and Trip Telesco, who were three and four-year starters for them. They return Eddie Buhal and Matt Rimmel. Um, you know, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see if, if they're going to be able to hold teams below, you know, ideally below 10 goals. I think they're going to have trouble scoring at the same rate that they did last year. And with the graduation of two, you know, uh, four year players for them on defense, you know, they're going to be a, they're going to be a different team on both sides of the ball. No question about it. Um, in terms of the goalies, you know, they returned two guys that played a lot last year, Chris Kiernan let up, you know, over 11 and a half goals a game, saved the ball at 48%, started nine games. Uh, Adam Sawicki let up over just over 10 goals a game, saving the ball at 49%, started six games. You know, they're going to have to figure out who they are there. Edge would probably say that Chris Kiernan ends up being the guy down the stretch, but that's just simply a guess. Um, you know, at the faceoff X, they returned Casey McAdam, 33% success rate at the X is not going to get it done. No. Uh, it's just going to kill them. And when they are being redefined on the offensive end, the defensive end, they have a battle going on to see who's going to start in the goal. And they are losing two of every three faceoffs. That really creates a, a scary dynamic. So you got to believe that these practice sessions are probably pretty intense as people <laughs> see that there's, you know, a lot of opportunity for playing time out there. And so I'm many sure moving that, parts, man. Oh, so geez. many moving parts. Sounds so much like Dartmouth. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know what? You're not you're not wrong though. At imagine a couple injuries to Lehigh, and all of a sudden it solves your problems. But right. it doesn't does it solve it in the right way? Yeah, I mean, it's listen, it, it solves it one way or the other. But um, listen, it's a great school. They've had an unbelievable run the last you know five of the last seven years. This has been one of the best teams out there, and so certainly Kevin Cassis and his staff know how to get the most out of what they are able to recruit there. And so, you know, listen, they're, they're, 
they're going to get, they're going to do a great job. Um, what that translates to record wise, hard to say, um, you know, this game versus NJIT, let's face it. Um, even with being, uh, completely new, basically all over the field, you got to believe that they are going to be able to control the outcome of this game. And, and, you know, similar to what we spoke about yesterday, I think, you know, like John Paul is saying to his Michigan team taking on Cleveland State, I don't think the message is too different from Coach Cassis as they take on NJIT, which is, listen, play fast, play with more energy. That's the challenge. And, you know, it's a new season. It's a great evaluation tool, obviously, for as many moving parts that they have, too. No question. But overall, going to the concern, midfield scoring, where are they going to get it from? Faceoffs, you know, how are they going to be able to win more than one out of every three faceoffs? And who's going to be their goaltender? So that's that's Lehigh in a nutshell. The uh, the other side of this, uh, their game against NJIT. Uh, NJIT picks up their first win uh, in program history last year against Dartmouth. Um, and you know, looking at the situation with NJIT, it's very much the same with Cleveland State. Uh, this is a team that needs to figure out its identity. And Coach Travis Johnson needs his time to build the program and get the upperclassmen that he needs. It seems as though his roster is constantly changing right now. Uh, and that's tough for any coach to handle. You've got Aaron For- Forster, uh, the Ontario guy, 28 points last year. Bradway and Callaghan round out the rest of the returning offensive leaders. Uh, but there are guys on that offensive leaderboard from last year that are not on the roster for 2017. Jesse Rice, Joe uh, Lamelli, uh, John Roach. It's interesting. I don't know any background in these guys. They were sophomores uh, last year. Uh, I'm curious if they left. Uh, whatever it might be, but you've got this flex roster scenario um, that is hard to coach. Uh, 25 underclassmen, um, you know, in the long run with New Jersey, you look at their schedule and you look at what they have coming up, and you've got to think that Travis Johnson is circling a few games. Wagner, Manhattan, VMI, ULL, and Hampton as teams to attack in 2017. Um, and if you're Dartmouth looking... dropped them. What's that? I think Dartmouth dropped them. Yes, they, of course. They're, they're a little dangerous. dangerous. I don't know whether they dropped them or not. I shouldn't say they dropped them because I don't but, know, but they no longer play Dartmouth. Right. And you've got to believe that that, you know, it's not a game that Dartmouth probably wanted to play anymore. Considering <laughs> no. they were going to have to go down to NJIT. Right, this right. That's the other part, too. They don't want to go to Jersey. I mean, Dartmouth <laughs> in general is always looking for home games, as you know, AT. So uh, whenever they can pick one up, they'll pick one up. But you look at, you know, New Jersey and what they're looking at. I mean, you know, with again, with Mag- Wagner, Manhattan, VMI, Lowell, and Hampton as teams to attack in 2017. Can they double their win output in 2017? Uh, can they snipe two wins? Obviously, Hampton looks like an easy win for them. Uh, but can they get two wins between VMI, ULOL, Wagner, Manhattan um, out of those four games? Should be interesting in terms of Lehigh. Um, it's an evaluation time for New Jersey to figure out what they have, what they can, the pieces they can put together, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I see this as a kind of a runaway for them. Uh, we'll move on because it's nice to be able to move on. Uh, a great game to finish out the three for this, but it's Delaware Bucknell, and it's a great game because it's early season. Uh, AT, I love Bucknell, and I love the dynamic that, that Bucknell brings to Division One. but I think Delaware is going to be a different team. Talk to me about Bucknell this year. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. 
uh, you know, Delaware always, in my opinion, seems to play well, uh, you know, during the first five, six games of the year, at least in my opinion, seemingly. Um, I know that they have lost some games as well, but I, I think this is definitely uh, has the potential to be a good game. In researching Bucknell, I think Bucknell is going to be a scary, scary team in 2017. Last year, they finished the season 10 and 5 overall. They were 5 and 3 in the Patriot League. You know, it's an offense that put up 11 goals a game, a defense that only let up nine goals a game. They shot 30%. Now they lose, you know, uh, a couple of proven goal scorers in Sean Doyle, 21 attackman Sean Doyle, 21 and 18, Thomas Flibbett, who was 17 and 6, but it seemed like Thomas Flibbett scored 25 goals a game for four straight years. Uh, but they return a ton of great players. Uh, at the top of that list, certainly the first-team All-American candidate, Will Sands, 36 and 28 last year. Uh, midfielder Tommy O'Connor, uh, 24 goals, 18 assists. A fellow attackman, Quinn Collison, 15 goals, 3 assess, assists. Midfielder Sean O'Brien, 13 goals, 2 assists. They just have a lot of scoring, a lot of guys that scored between you know, 10 and 25 points, and then that superstar in Will Sands and potential superstar in Tommy O'Connor as well. Uh, defensively, they lose Eric Monford, but they return Mike Schiappa, Benny Borgernorn, uh, tough to say his name. But And then and then in the goal, listen, the two intangible areas in the goal at the faceoff X, uh, Clippers, little brother, Christian Clipstein. That's Ryan Clipstein's yeah, little brother, right? I think so. He's a stud. Yes. Uh, you know, he, he saved the ball at 58% last year, only let up, you know, a little under eight and a half goals per game. And then their faceoff guy was a total beast, Jarrett Witzel, 57%. And so they're getting, they go into every game with, you know, an anticipated advantage at the exit and the goal, similar to what Brown did last year. And they've got an offense that is, you know, very proven, returned a ton of veterans that put up really, really good numbers, including a superstar. Yep. They return, you know, uh, most of their defense. And this is a scary team. Their man yes. up was 47%. Their man down was 77%. We all know that Frank Federaca just does an unbelievable job each year. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. Frankly, I'm surprised that... You know, he hasn't been, uh, you know, in the running for these top five, six. I think he has. His up. name he, has been thrown around a few times. I just think he's all, comfortable. All he does is consistently win seemingly 10 games, and he's right there at the end all the time. It seems like they're always knocking somebody off that's a top five team every year. Um you know, he, he just does an unbelievable job. My main concern in, in, in looking at Bucknell is the fact that they only cleared the ball at 77% last year, which seems like a low number. Um, you know, maybe that stat takes into consideration that they're clearing against their own 10-man ride. Right. Practice each day, <laughs> which, let's face it, has terrorized Division One lacrosse since Frank Frederick has been there. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're known as, you know, one of, if not the best riding teams in the country. And so to see them clear at just 77%, you know, sticks out as a statistical concern for me. But I think Bucknell is going to be a scary team this year, and I expect them to beat Delaware this weekend. I look at a Delaware team that last year uh, started five freshmen and three sophomores. I don't know how many other teams in the country 
started other than you know first year second year third year programs that started that many young players it seems like delaware has changed their outlook over the last say five years to kind of change the dynamic of the team um for obvious reasons you know they've got a senior attackman and paul major i mean he was a caa team uh teamer last year uh steve delargy uh midfielder um he's also preseason caa caa as well uh, but they have the kid Roe mcnoli at attack and then defensively they had kid austin haynes who's a stud in between the lines uh he was rookie uh team on on the rookie team excuse me last year but i think that you know for delaware there's a lot of moving pieces that are finally coming together in this last year. So you look at uh, the face-off situation for Delaware too. Uh, you've got the senior Walsh, the kid Walsh. Uh, he was pretty decent last year. Uh, and then they got the kid sophomore Hervada. Very similar scenario that Vermont has, um, you know, where they have a dynamic uh, duo in there. Uh, I do like having that if I'm a coach. I don't like obviously if you've got you know, Trevor Baptiste, that's one thing. Uh, but if you don't have, Trevor, say, Trevor Baptiste and you're running at, say, 50 to 55%, it's nice to have another guy behind you that is also running 55, uh, 50% because it just gives uh, the team a new energy when somebody else goes out there and, uh, and, and gets up and down the field uh, and fights its scraps at the X. Uh, so that's good. Uh, in terms of the goal situation, it seems as though uh, they have a freshman and kid named DeLuca who's coming in, uh, making a pretty big impact right away, which is good because it's pushing the kid, Farragut, uh, the redshirt um, you know, transfer from Q's, uh, who's finally kind of settled into his role at, at Delaware, which is pretty neat. Um, but in terms of this weekend, uh, this is kind of an interesting thought, and I, you know, we don't put too much time into our podcast you know, talking about this, uh, but you get this kind of insight from the coaches, but... They have January term finals coming up, and it's mostly this week. And so when you're trying to open a game for Delaware, not help. Not it's, help. It's, it's tough. It's very, very tough. And, and not enough uh, information comes out in terms of, you know, you know exam weeks. There's also everyone kind of knows exam weeks, but there's also that weird midterm time too. the kids are stressed out, staying up late nights, trying to cram for all these tests. Uh, So it's just a busy week. Uh, But the spring semester starts on Monday. Um, So it's interesting to see that dynamic with Delaware and how they manage their season around their, you know, unique academic calendar. Um, But. You know, with Bucknell, exactly the same stuff that you've talked about. They're always a challenge. Uh, every time you don't know what you're going to get, but you kind of do know what you're going to get. You're going to get a slow but fast-paced game with a bunch of scores. They only create high op- high opportunities from themselves. Um, and, you know, that's one of the big things is, you know, looking at a Delaware team that has set a foundation over the last two years. Um, and it's finally time to kind of take that step forward for them. Uh, and it seems from talking with Byron Collins and the staff at Delaware that this is the year for them to do that, uh, where now they have three sophomores or five sophomores and three juniors who, again, much like some of the other programs, finally, like we were talking about BU the other day, they finally have some leadership there. Um, that's really, really important. The CAA as a conference is a monster. I mean, You've got teams that are all relatively balanced across the board. You got to look at Towson as a team to beat in that league, uh, but at the same time, you look at all the at any given time they can do it. 
Uh, and one of the cool uh, stats that uh, Byron actually talked to me about was that the CA champion has made the quarterfinals two out of the last three years. Yeah. And that just goes to show how competitive the league is. And the CA has had three teams to reach the Final Four in its history. There's also not very many teams or leagues that have had that. Yeah. Um, and f- so for Delaware to kind of focus, keep it simple, um, you know, it's, it's really, really good uh, to see that, you know, the positive atmosphere coming out of Delaware, given the last, say, three to five years. Yeah, well, last year was tough. I know I, I said that it always seems like Delaware starts fast, and I, I, you know, it seems like they have good wins, but I look at the 2016 schedule just to just to back up a little bit here. Um, you know, they open the season with four losses, um, and so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm glad to hear that they feel good about their preseason, but there's no doubt that going into this game on the heels of J-term exams is certainly going to present a unique challenge for the players in that program. I'm sure they'll be fired up and ready to play, but you gotta you gotta think that um, anything that sort of draws the attention away from lacrosse, even temporarily. Uh, going to the first game of the year has got to be a challenge for that staff. It is, and you wonder if in the future they start uh, working around that. Uh, certainly, you know, you already know that there are weird gaps in certain team schedules, anywhere between, you know, 10, 14, two-week gaps. Uh, and that's large part because coaches have seen their teams play under that kind of stressful outside uh, pressure uh, from the academic world um, and – it's it's interesting to see that they would pick up a team like Bucknell. But outside of this, obviously it's going to be a challenge with Bucknell, but look for Delaware to make an impact this year in the CAA, especially how wide open just as much as the America East is. The CAA is just there as well. Um, that's it for the show for this t- uh, for today. Um, again, check us out on in your, at In Your Face Lax on all the social media. Um and we will see tomorrow. We've got the last three games coming up. Uh, we've got PSU, Robert Morris, Air Force Duke, and Ohio State. And who's Ohio State playing, AT? Uh, Ohio State is playing Furman, aren't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Running it back with Furman again. Uh, so we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, in the meantime, maximize your comfort. Thank you, as always, for the listen. Go Rangers. <laughs>